0: to Proudly Asian, a podcast series that tells bold and proud stories of Asians by Asians. I'm Isabel Wong, a financial journalist who wants to uncover the many Asian stories around us that are waiting to be told. There's never just one way to look at Asians. This podcast will take you through a deep dive into the life stories, struggles and triumphs of young Asians around the world. On today's episode, we have Dr. Anthony Ocampo, a Filipino-American sociology professor at Cal Poly Pomona. Born and raised in LA, he's also the author of the books The Latinos of Asia, How Filipino Americans Break the Rules of Race, and Brown and Gay in LA, The Lives of Immigrant Sons. He talks to us about growing up brown and gay in LA and how Asian identities could be defined. Welcome back to Proudly Asian Season 2. While we were away, we were definitely keeping ourselves busy trying to line up new episodes for the season. But so happy to be back with you all again. And since the launch of this brand new season falls in June, which is also usually when Pride Month occurs, we are kicking off the season with our guest, Dr. Anthony Ocampo. For Netflix fans, you might have seen Anthony on one of the Netflix documentaries, White Hot, The Rise and Fall of Abercrombie and Fitch where he talks about his experience of being discriminated against because of who he is. But now, let's welcome our guest. Welcome to Proudly Asian, Anthony.
1: Hey, thanks for having me.
0: Thank you so much for coming on the show. But before we get into the actual conversation, I'm just really curious. How did the Netflix filming go
1: for you? First of all, the the place where they had the actual recording was really interesting. It was like some like hunting clubs and so on the wall there were literally dead animals that were hanging on the wall i guess they were trying to do that whole like abercrombie and fitch look of like the cabins and and the wilderness or whatever but yeah we filmed in 2020 so it was like right at the beginning of the pandemic and so it was it was really weird because i had been quarantined at home i hadn't really seen a lot of people and then all of a sudden we were in a studio Filming, uh, not a studio, like a a set filming, filming the documentary. And I guess the other weird part is that, you know, this this documentary was filmed in 2020. This experience that I had with Abercrombie and Fitch, where you alluded to, I I used to work there when I was 18 years old in the year 1999. (laughs) And then they said, oh, I'm sorry, you can't we can't rehire you because we already have too many Filipinos working here. Um, that occurred like in the year 2000. So it's like literally 20 years ago. And so it was it, it, it was really funny to, to talk about this period of my life that I thought is just like very much in the past. And then when the documentary came out in 2022, all of a sudden you had all these people from my different chapters of my life reaching out in social media and DMs saying, You know, like, oh, good job on being on the documentary, but also sharing their own really messed up experiences with the with the store. So I was I was pretty shocked to learn that the Abercrombie thing is very triggering for a very, very large number of people.
0: Yeah, it's funny you you mentioned um, about the set because I was actually going to ask you about because I, I remember they had really interesting sets and now I was going to ask if they were real, but then you just answered my question. But um, I would like to get into um, knowing a little bit more about yourself by asking a question that I ask every single guest of mm-hmm. mine on the show, which is um, tell us a bit about your background. Who are you? What are you? And where did you grow up?
1: Um, how do I answer this question? Who are you? it's such a big existential question. These days, but yeah, I'm i I'm a son of immigrants. My parents are immigrants from the Philippines. My mom, shockingly, is a nurse. My dad worked in real estate. Um, I'm an only child, and I grew up in Northeast Los Angeles um, in a n- little neighborhood called Eagle Rock. Some folks that are Filipino might recognize it because it's a neighborhood with a lot of Filipino residents, both immigrants and children of immigrants. Um, yeah, so I grew up in L.A., but in terms of my day-to-day life, I'm a college professor. I teach sociology at a university in Southern California, and I also consider myself to be a writer. Um, I, like, I write books, I write articles, usually about topics related to immigration and race, um, Filipino identity lgbtq issues um what else can i say i have a dog so i'm a dog parent but beyond that that's uh pretty much it i'm i also identify as queer so that's an important identifier for pride month of course
0: Mm -hmm. and i mean just a quick follow-up do you speak tagalog how many languages do you speak
1: oh my gosh do i speak tagalog (laughs) you know what if i I'm in the Philippines and I've been there for a couple of weeks and I've had a few drinks, then I think, yes, I would say absolutely I can speak Tagalog. <laughs> but normally here in the United States, I grew up speaking English. Uh, I grew up in a household where both Tagalog and English was spoken. But like a lot of Filipino Americans, my uh, Tagalog skills are lacking, <laughs> but I can understand Tagalog pretty well. So if you throw me in the middle of the Philippines, at least where they speak Tagalog, I can pretty much get by pretty all right.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, you're definitely not alone. That's what I heard from um, some of my Filipino American friends as well. But um, (laughs) specifically for yourself, what was it like growing up in LA in a Filipino American household? And and what is an experience that most Filipino Americans would find relatable?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's like about 4 million Filipino Americans at, at the most recent count. And I grew up, I was lucky in that I grew up in a household that had a very strong sense of Filipino identity. So what I mean by that is, like, you know, I had my grandmother here. Sometimes both grandmas were living here. We had aunts and uncles, cousins that lived in our household. And so even though I was an only child, it felt like I was never really alone because there was always some extra relatives that were living in the house and what was nice is that you know through those people i had a lot of exposure to f- all things filipino from filipino food to the language to um filipino like pop culture like t- tv shows game shows things like that and um it was really it was it was a really tight knit family so we saw each other several times a month and there was always large family gatherings. So I think that is something that a lot of Filipinos relate to is this multi-generational household experience where it's not just mom and dad in the house, but you have all these, all these other people living there. And uh, yeah, I think that the other part of it too, was I, when I was younger, I used to go to the Philippines at least every other year for visits. And so um, I spent a lot of time there as a kid. Just Going to the Philippines is a very different experience than like growing up Filipino in the United States because you're just surrounded by um, a whole different world. I mean, as much as you can grow up with Filipino family in the States, it's just totally different when you're immersed in Manila and just seeing everything, everyone around you is Filipino as well.
0: And um, I mean, just a quick question. What's your favorite Filipino dish?
1: Oh my gosh. Um, I'm I'm a I'm a Palabuk fan. Oh. And then if it's like a... If it's like a cloudy day, I, I'm a big Sinigang
0: oh, yeah. fan
1: as well. Um what else? This I like I mean, obviously like desserts are great. Halo halo mm-hmm. um is is the perfect summer, summer thing to just feel refreshed. But I I you know, actually, let me give you a more obscure dish. When I was a kid, I think my favorite dish was Paksu, the chun pak, siu, pak siu. Oh I had an aunt that used to make it, and I just thought like this is the most interesting thing i've ever tasted uh but yeah that was my i would say as a kid that's my favorite i would take the pak siu and then take the above and then pour it on the rice so it's all like you know we do that with the yeah the rice is all moist with whatever soup you have yeah um but honestly, these days, I think my biggest comfort food is I, I love, I, I will forever love Filipino breakfast, so like the topsilogs, of logs, logs, of logs. Uh, Whenever you go out on a Saturday night and you have too much to drink, it's the perfect hangover food.
0: <laughs> yeah, that definitely sounds nice. And um, now, I mean, I would like to switch the topic a little bit um, mm-hmm. and, and, and talk about your experience growing up as a queer person in L.A. Um, you mm-hmm. know, how was the experience for you?
1: Yeah, it's, a, it's 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 funny because I think as a kid, you don't really... I mean, I, I I was born in 1981. And so growing up in the 1980s, you had a very limited exposure to what gay or queer people were. I think the only exposure I had to it as a kid was seeing um, the topic of HIV or AIDS come up. And so being gay was equated to like a death sentence, which is obviously not the... Best example of, of, of gay communities to grow up with. And in addition to that, the only gay people that I ever saw on TV were usually white gay people. And so for a long time, I think that I just didn't have the vocabulary to really articulate what I was feeling inside. Like I knew that I felt different from other boys that I was growing up in my family or in my school. And I think in retrospect, like when there's a certain age where a lot of boys start to have like crushes on girls or they talk about who they like in, in their school. And I always looking back on whenever when I think about this period, I always felt like I never really had that inclination to have a, a real crush on a girl. <laughs> Of course, like you said, you like someone just because you had to say something. But but yeah, I mean, being gay didn't even really enter my um, thought process until I was much older. Because, you know, you grew up with very negative images of it. Like for everything from the church says being gay is a sin to it's wrong or it's unnatural. And then you also I think I saw like a few images of gay people from the Philippines and almost always it was these like hyper flamboyant um, like caricatures. Like I trust, first of all, let me just say that I absolutely love anyone that can be flamboyant, man or woman, non-binary, whatever. But at the time, like it was, it was always made fun of. It was always portrayed that like these gay figures on Philippine television were more like either comic relief or outcasts. And so, It was really hard to really put together the idea that I myself might be gay until I got way older and I met other gay men of color, gay black men, gay Latino men, gay other gay Filipino and Asian Americans. And it was until I met those folks that I thought, oh, maybe I am actually part of this community as well. I just didn't really put two and two together.
0: Mm. And um, I mean, as you mentioned, you met um, other, you know, LGBTQ plus community members um, from different cultural backgrounds, right? Like, mm-hmm. Would you say your experience growing up as a queer Filipino man um, was quite different from, you know, other Asians uh who grew up as queer and gay?
1: I think that there's, you know, I think honestly, there might be more similarities than differences. Um, as a kid, like I grew up around a lot of fil- Filipinos, but what's funny about where I lived in LA is that I didn't really have a lot of other Asians that lived in my neighborhood or went to my school. So for the most part, cause I went to Catholic school. And so most of the Asians that were there were, were Filipino descent. And so, that was what I knew. Or was I, that that's what I was exposed to? But I get the sense, like from what I know of all my friends who are Asian American, like other East Asians and, and Southeast Asian groups, that you know when you're in, when you're a son of immigrants or a child of immigrants, you feel like there's this this huge amount of pressure <laughs> to like fulfill your family's immigrant dreams, and there's this like pressure you feel to to live out the the hopes and dreams and ambitions that your parents have after they migrated to this country. I don't really know if like my mom and dad ever sat me down and said, "Hey, we're immigrants and like we have big dreams for you," but for whatever reason, I think a lot of children of immigrants absorb that message somehow and i actually have a book coming out in 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 september of 2022 that it's about the experience of growing up gay in an immigrant family what i learned is that a lot of folks have that experience of feeling that same sense of pressure that their family wants them to be one thing but they in their hearts and minds are actually something very different
0: and i mean next up i would like to talk about your coming out experience um how how was it for you? Was it terrifying?
1: Oh, oh my god. Yeah. It was really ter- Oh my gosh. Yeah, it was very terrifying. Um Yeah, it was scary. I mean, I think part of it was shaped by the fact that I'm an only child and so I, and other people have told me this. They they've said like, "Oh, you know, I'm gay but I have siblings so like my sibling's can, you know, My parents have my siblings to focus on or whatever um, to not disappoint them. But I think it was really scary because I, for most of my life, always tried to be like the perfect son, the perfect kid. Uh, I got good grades. I went to to college. I went to graduate school, um, landed this job as a professor. And I felt like in a lot of ways, like I was doing what my parents had asked me to. Um, the only part that I couldn't really do is the part where they were like, Oh, we hope you marry a nice girl and have kids. And, um, that was the part that always felt a little bit like I couldn't fulfill that obligation. Uh, I was about 22 years old, 23 years old when I think I came out to my mom, um, I don't think she'll ever listen to this. So let me just tell you the whole truth. (laughs) But um, yeah, we were at a, we were at a, I think some family event in New Jersey and it's a really funny story. Um, I guess she had like, saw a bottle of pills in my bag. Um, So at the time in my early twenties, I was a smoker. I smoked cigarettes and I was trying to quit smoking cigarettes and One thing you do if you go to the doctor and you tell them you want to quit smoking, they give you um, Wellbutrin, which is an antidepressant. So it actually serves the purpose of helping people quit smoking. Well, my mom's a nurse, as I mentioned. And so she saw this bottle of um, Wellbutrin in my backpack and she said, why do you why do you have this? And are you depressed? Because she saw it from the nursing point of view. Like these are these are for depression. And I said, no, I'm not depressed. But I used to. Smoke and so I have them because I don't want to quit smoking. And my mom was like, You smoke, and so it was just very like, Oh crap, um, whatever. I was just like telling her disappointing things left and right. And then after the conversation was about to end, she said, If there's anything you want to talk to me about, please, you can always talk to your mom. And in my mind, I thought, Oh my gosh, she's giving me the opening to tell her that. I'm gay. So I told her like, mom, I don't, you know, I don't really, not really into girls. I don't, I don't think that's for me. And, um, <laughs> let's just say that that's not what she anticipated I would have said. So I kind of came out to her by accident. Uh, and then I think when it came out to my dad years later, um, I had gone through, I had a relationship with the, the man that I was really in love with and I had broken up with him and, I just felt I hit this point where I felt like these really important things were happening in my life. Like I had a full on relationship. I was in love with someone and I felt like I I broke up with someone and I felt like those are things that you should be able to share with your family. And um, I had a lot of my cousins that knew that I was gay, but not my parents. And so um, after I felt like there was this distance between me and my dad that couldn't be overcome because I was keeping up the secret I just ended up telling him and um, I don't think either of my parents were like, they didn't kick me out of the house or anything. And they were never um, like violent. (laughs) Like, I know a lot of people experience really violent reactions from their parents sometimes just really sad. But I know that they were not... I think, that I, I think they were disappointed because I think that a lot of their dreams that they had for me involved me getting married and having kids. And I think they're really they're, they're kids people, too. So I think they really wanted grandkids, at least in the traditional way. Um, yeah. And it's just like I'm the only kid. So I think that that's also another another factor that played into it. It's like um, they had other nephews and nieces who are openly gay and they're fine with them. But I think it's just really different when it was their kid so to be honest it took a couple of years for them to, to to come around but nowadays like they're super cool like when my mom and dad need something they'll call my partner joe <laughs> they won't even call me because they'll, they'll, they think that he's more helpful than i am but um yeah that was oh my gosh that was like 20 years ago or something when i came out to them and now wow yeah Yeah, I think it's 20 years I came out to them. And I think the first maybe like five or six years, it was a little bit funky, maybe even eight years. I don't know. But like um, after that, it's, you know, they've been super supportive. And I, I... I love that my parents love my partner as much as they love me. So
0: Wow, what an experience. And, I mean, of course, looking back, um, if you could ever speak to your younger self um, when you used to kind of like wonder about your differences um, or like wonder how you should approach, you know, coming out to your parents, like would you do anything differently? What would you tell your younger self?
1: Oh, that's such a lovely question. I think that when you're going through that stuff, you really – like, I haven't really thought about this in a very long time, but I think that there was a, a point in my life when things were, um, you know, me and my parents weren't on the same page when it came to me being gay, where I used to like pray. <laughs> I used to just ask God. I'm like, God, please just like get, get us to whatever tomorrow looks like, whatever the next what's over the hump, like just get me there as fast as possible because I really can't see it right now. Uh, And that was um, I was for a long time, I wasn't really sure if we would ever get to the point where we would be wholly accepting of each other. But but, yeah, I think I would tell my younger um, my younger self, I would say, you know, all those things that you used to get made fun of for or or you used to get reprimanded for, you know, dancing and singing and and acting effeminate and and enjoying figure skating and gymnastics all the things that you love to do that boys aren't supposed to do quote unquote you should just say screw it Embrace those things and and find joy in those things because there's actually a lot of other young boys out there in the world that love those things, too. You're just going to have to have faith that you're going to find them one day.
0: Mm, yeah i mean that's such a nice advice and i mean i'm gonna get more of your advice as well but this time it's not for younger self but for like family and friends of you know um people who are part of the lgbtq community like what will be your advice for those who are you know anxious about um the, the sexual orientation of, let's say, their sons, their children, um, you know, how could family and friends be supportive?
1: Yeah, I think that's a really great question. It's really hard to give advice on this because every family is different. But what I would say is that, well, the, the least you can do is to not be, um, not stigmatize people for um, acting like a, expressing their gender in a way that doesn't quote-unquote fit with your perception of what gender should look like. So, for example, like, if you have young young boys that want to play with dolls or want to, you know, put on a dress, like, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. If you have little girls that want to play with trucks and, um, you know, do quote-unquote boy things, there's nothing wrong with that either. And th- I think a lot of times what, I've, what I see, even in this day and age, like in the year 2022, I see a lot of parents that like scream at their young boys who who want to play dress up or want to play with dolls or want to pretend to be girls and same thing with you know their little girls that want to do quote-unquote boyish things so don't do that (laughs) Um, I think that you should just let kids be kids and whatever they enjoy um, let them express themselves because it's really beautiful to see them play with different um, top like different ideas about who they are that's that's Awesome. I think the other thing, too, for relatives, one thing I would say is that if you have young kids, don't don't always, like, pressure them with the story of, like, oh, to a young man. Oh, when you marry a nice girl or when you have a girlfriend or vice versa to a young girl. Oh, when you find a boyfriend one day, because a lot of times those are statements that stress kids out if they already know that they're queer. And so I think little little gestures like saying oh whoever you fall in love with whatever they may be whether it's a a boy or girl or someone that has no gender like that's a really subtle thing that parents and other relatives can say but it's really really powerful message it's a really powerful way to signal to kids that you're not expecting them to be straight i think another thing too that that family can do is that if you ever hear comments that are homophobic or transphobic if you have a kid that's queer and they're watching what you're gonna do and how you're gonna react. And if you let those comments happen and you don't speak up, it's gonna send a kid to, it's gonna send a message to those kids that you're not accepting of gay people. And I think that the other thing too is You know, one thing I wish that I I could have for my own relatives and family is I have a lot of family that are really accepting of, of, of me being gay or accepting of my partner. But one thing that they don't really do is they don't really do that much. They don't put in that much effort to learn about LGBTQ history or LGBTQ issues or LGBTQ pop culture. And so a lot of times, even if you have family that it's, you know, they're heterosexual and they accept you it's still not fun to hang out in those spaces if you have to pretend to care about all the things that straight people care about. Mm -hmm. Um, I have a lot of wonderful things that are happening in the queer community that I would love to talk about with my straight family members, but I feel like there's not an appreciation of those things. And so I think like, I would love if if family members just really, really indulged in um, getting to know not only who their queer kid is, but also the queer community that their kid belongs to.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, um, a lot of the times, um, the most hurtful words actually came from family members and it would take kids years to unlearn all the toxic thoughts and you know to get over those comments so yeah definitely what what you just said there was really important for like family members of like queer or lgbtq community members and next up i want to talk a little bit more about your filipino american identity because Mm -hmm. um you know a lot of filipino americans um, tend to find themselves in this type of like intersectional identity you know they they think of themselves as sort of like a bit of a between us and i know that you have an upcoming book which talks about being brown and gay in la and the lives of um, immigrant sons um what really motivated you to write that book and what do you hope to achieve um with the book
1: oh my gosh so remember how i was sharing earlier that like it was i was having trouble navigating my own sense of gay identity <laughs> um the truth is i think i pursued this project on gay sons of immigrants it's about the experience of growing up gay in an immigrant family i I interview people who are filipino as well as mexican-american um just get different perspectives on what that experience is like and i think to be honest (laughs) part of the reason i pursued that study is because i was I, i knew other gay men who were from immigrant families that had parents that were accepting or that had um family members that embraced who they were as, as gay men. Uh, and I just was wanting to understand, like, what's that experience like? How did you get there? Because I feel like that's not where I'm at with my own family. So I know a lot of times in, in, in social science research, we are often motivated by, like, some academic reason to pursue a topic. But for me, it was very personal why I decided to pursue the research for this book. And um, another reason... I did is because I think that there's something super powerful and you're able to read about your experience. Like when you pick up a piece of paper and the, the words that are printed on there are words that like you can relate to. That's not a common experience for all people of color and queer people of color in the United States, because a lot of times the books that we read growing up are mostly about white people, straight people. And so I wanted to be able to produce something that you know a, a random gay kid that has the that's in an immigrant family would be able to relate to or to be honest even like a you know a sibling of a of a gay child of immigrants or the parent of a gay child of immigrants i feel like that um i wanted to write this so folks felt like they weren't alone because <laughs> a lot of times when you're gay mm. growing up um you can feel very alone
0: And um, I mean, I have a question about another interesting topic um, that I discovered as I continue producing um, Proudly Asian, which is um, how Filipinos in different places view the Filipino identity. Because um, um, I've interviewed um, some guests previously who were um, part Filipinos or like Filipino Americans. But um, I think some of the listeners um, who are based in the Philippines actually messaged me. And and it wasn't just one of them. It was like maybe multiple of them who messaged me telling Mm -hmm. me that okay um they actually think filipino americans aren't really a hundred percent filipino as as a filipino american man i just want to know how you view
1: this um yeah i i'm not a i'm not always a fan of of the litmus tests for who is authentically filipino and who's not right because I mean, even when you think about the history of the Philippines, it's like 7,000 islands of people that speak different languages, people that are of different skin tones and different religions. And so, you know, you can, you can pull that same card, even with people that are living in within the boundaries of the Philippine nation, right? You can ask yourself, like, oh, what about Filipinos who are Muslim or Filipinos who are darker skinned versus lighter skinned? And so I, I just don't think it's. Helpful to anybody to to draw a line that says "You're Filipino, like I'm Filipino, and you're not. I don't really see the 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 purpose of that I think like the truth is Filipinos that live in the United States are they're Filipino but they have a very different experience, you know, and that experience entails living in a society that is multiracial um, living in a society that is where they're not the dominant group it's like white people that are dominant group um, and and living in a place where they're oftentimes in the minority in their schools their neighborhoods etc and so I think that that produces a very different sense of identity for Filipinos that grow up in the United States and I just want to remind people in the Philippines that like the United States is pretty big. It's a pretty big country, right? I grew up in a neighborhood that had a lot of Filipinos, but there's other places that Filipinos grow up where there's, maybe they're the only Filipino that lives there and their whole town. Maybe their family is the only one. And there's places like, um, you know, Filipinos with different class statuses. So like my parents, I mentioned, were in professional jobs, a nurse and a real estate agent. But there's a lot of Filipinos that grow up with more working class backgrounds in places like Hawaii or the San Francisco Bay Area and those those things also matter as well for who you become as a person, and the reality is Filipinos are spread across the the world in like two hundred plus different countries. there's Filipinos in Hong Kong, Filipinos in Japan, Filipinos in the middle East, and you know who are we to say who is Filipino or not? you know, just because I wasn't born there and I didn't grow up there um I don't think it makes me any less Filipino. Or even if I don't speak the language, I don't think that makes me less Filipino. I just think it makes me a different kind of Filipino than um the ones that live in the in the homeland
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I find it very interesting because, um, you know, like at the same time, Filipinos have have other fights, you know, like fighting to be recognized as Asian or Asian-American, which is <laughs> what you mentioned in your book. Um, you were not, you know, like there was this um, university study that you tried to sign up for, but then they told you you were not Asian. And then at the same uh-huh. time, it's like um, fighting to be seen as American, which is sort of um, the issues that were mentioned in the Netflix documentary, White Hot." You know, people have a very, or people try to create a a very set image about what america looks like yeah and i also remember um, a while back that um, on your twitter you tweeted about how um at you know some of the white colleagues they would sort of see you or, or see you differently or were the way that they interacted with you were quite dismissive so definitely um this is all contributing to the conversation of like um I mean, it's not quite there yet in terms of the debate over identities, um, either in America or like outside America. Mm -hmm. I I want to follow up on the concept of motherland because you did mention, you know, how does one define um, one's identity, right? Like, is it by blood? Is it by skin color? Or is it by lived experience?
1: Wow, that's a really wonderful question. Um, It's complicated. I think it's all of those things, right? And I think that's, I mean, that's a hard question, right? Because if you say that it's lived experience, like what do you do with a, for example, a, like a white person that grows up in a predominantly black neighborhood, all of us, do they have the liberty to identify as black? Well, probably not, even though their lived experience is in a neighborhood where they're surrounded by mostly black residents. Um, Is it by blood? Like I, I, I hesitate about that question too, because we have, we have a long history of using blood bloodline as a way to discriminate or to exclude i mean exclude people from accessing their basic rights so like I think there's a lot of countries where bloodline is determinant is the determinant for whether you can gain citizenship and what does that mean if you're not part of that bloodline but you've had people living there for generations it's It's kind of messed up, and i think i you know I live in the United States where um, this is a country where bloodline you know, if you were even one thirty second African descent, it means you're black and what that meant is you can't have access to the same rights that white people can. And so it's 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 really complicated. Um I think it's to a to to a little cop out to your question, I think it's all of those things put together. It's like a it's kind of like a an equation where it's not just what you look like, it's not just who your parents are, it's not just you know what country you're born in but it's it's a combination of those things and from those things you make a determination of who belongs and who doesn't i think that um when it comes to identities like asian a lot of people forget that the term asian they think it's like a real identity with like some genetic foundation but in reality the term asian is you know a sociologist like to say socially constructed so in the united states we didn't even have people identifying as Asian until the 1960s. There was a group of activists who were Filipino, Chinese, Japanese. They were like, you know what? We're getting really screwed in this country. We're experiencing a lot of racism, but our numbers are quite small, so we should band together and let's create a new identity called Asian Americans so that we can fight for our civil rights in the same way that, like, black people... Mexican-Americans, uh, women, are doing at the same time.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I must say, um, I mean, I, I really agree with what you just said. During wartime, like how people even identify themselves could be kind of like a based on a political reason or like based on a reason to protect themselves so, yeah, I mean, I just would like to use this time to remind people that, um, you know, just because someone identifies as, you know, Filipino, American, Filipino or Chinese, it doesn't actually tell the whole life story about that person. There isn't really kind of like a common experience that would be shared by um, everyone who shares the same ethnicity. But now it's time for us to move on to the next segment, which is called Rapid Bias. Bias. <laughs> And in this segment, I'll be asking my guests biased questions. They have got asked at some point in life. And in Anthony's case, biased questions, gay people or Filipino Americans get asked a lot. So, Anthony, are you ready?
1: Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it.
0: First question, are you the boy
1: or the girl? Oh, I hate that question. You know, I think that it, I don't really get asked it a lot, but I think earlier in my um, gay life, people would like try to impose these 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 this framework of like there's a there has to be a boy and a girl in the relationship even if both are both are boys so yeah i'm not i i'm not a fan of that question um i think that like the beauty of being gay is that you don't have to adhere to the rules of masculinity or femininity and so you know um uh with me and my partner we're we're both boys
0: all gay men must be very girlish
1: it's funny because people say that as it's it's a bad thing but in a lot of ways like if you watch the drag queens or 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 men who express themselves in in feminine ways we think about the the first men who were able to fight for the civil rights of gay people they were very effeminate men right because they couldn't fit in in society and so they were the ones who fought the hardest and so i think that growing up we often think about being a man and being effeminate as opposite but you can be whatever you can be whatever you want i think that i've been really um finding a lot of power in embracing um non-traditional gender expressions
0: very well said and next question homosexuality is a mental disorder
1: oh gosh um that one i have not come across but among my older Mentors who are gay that lived in a time when people framed it as a as a as a mental disorder. You know what? I think heterosexuality is a mental disorder <laughs> because it forces it forces people to like it's a framework that limits the rights of women and limits the the agency of women and and, and has this assumption that men are smarter, stronger, or, or more deserving of things. And so I think that that's terrible. And so like you know, if I were to, to just in in jest jokingly say like actually no i don't think homosexuality is a mental disorder at all i think if anything heterosexuality causes folks more mental trauma than homosexuality
0: and next up no one is born gay you can just decide to stop being gay right
1: no i don't think it works that way it's what wonderful thing about having interviewed people about their gay experiences is a lot of these people already knew from age four or five years old that they were They didn't have the word gay, but they were just different. So I think some people come into their queer identity at different points in life. You know, there's a lot of folks who are you know they assume that they're heterosexual and they date someone that's of the you know they're men they date women and they're women they date men and then later on in life they meet someone and they realize actually wow I, I could fall in love with someone of the same gender so i think that like sexuality is i don't think it's even as simple as like gay and straight i just think that it's a spectrum where depending on your circumstance and your your life we could You can be different sexualities at different times of your life.
0: And Anthony, you are Filipino, so you're not Asian.
1: Oh yeah, so a lot of, um, I think that a lot of Filipinos that grew up in LA, you know, when they hear the word Asian, they're almost thinking about Korean folks or Chinese American folks. Um, I think Filipinos are a little bit different because we have like the Spanish last names and then the, the Catholic thing going on. And so when I wrote that book in 2016, I think that, you know, I interviewed people in 2009, 2010, where they would talk about, you know, Filipinos don't really fit in with Asians. But what's interesting about this moment with all this anti-Asian violence, I think that it's actually like resurrecting Filipinos' sense of Asian identity because a lot of the people that have been attacked are Filipino women. And so, um, yeah, I think like, what would I say? Filipinos are Asian-American, but sometimes they'll feel a little ambivalent. And of course, it depends what part of the country you're in. Like my cousins that are in New Jersey are like, yeah, we're totally Asian, but the ones here in on the West Coast, you know, vary. they have varied, varied relationships to that identity.
0: Interesting. And last question, mm-hmm. you are not Filipino.
1: Oh, gosh. Um, well, I think that that statement says more about the person telling it to me than myself. Like i'm filipino what's funny is i uh, one of the nice things about growing up in a really strong filipino family and community is whenever that kind of statement gets said i really it doesn't really bother me in like in the least bit i don't feel any like it doesn't feel like an attack because i know who i am and that's the end of it
0: great thank you for playing this round of rapid bias anthony To conclude the episodes, this episode is released um, during Pride Month, I would just like to get your thoughts into if you could raise awareness about one pressing issue in the LGBTQ plus community, what will it be?
1: Yeah, I think that if I had to pick just one issue, the LGBTQ community is a very diverse community, even though... Some people may not see it that way. And so I think sometimes people are obsessed with issues like gay marriage and same-sex marriage. And I think that's important. But what I would love for folks to know is that there's a lot of queer and trans women of color, especially Black women, who are experiencing a lot of violence and experiencing a lot of um, economic struggles, homelessness, Um, and I think that... Although I think that gay marriage is important or gay representation in media is important, there's a lot of folks who are literally dying <laughs> because of who they are. And I think it's important for us to pay more attention to the the LGBTQ people that don't ever make it on television.
0: And Anthony, finally, our last question for you is what does it mean to be proudly Filipino-American american and queer,
1: yeah, I think that being proudly Filipino American is is really owning the fact that you come from a, a history of people that were fighters and survivors and and create cre- they were creative people that did a lot with what little they had a lot of the early filipinos that came here were discriminated against racially discriminated against were treated terribly but despite that were able to form communities to write their own histories to tell their stories to 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 have families and have children and i think that the ability to just live their lives despite all the terrible things that are being imposed on them, that's that's a really beautiful beautiful thing to celebrate. I think when it comes to being gay, I, I think that it, you know, I wouldn't have said this as a kid, but I think being queer is the most magical thing in the world. Because what that means is that you just look at the world in a very different way than what you're taught. And it means that you have more ability to see things outside of the box. You're more willing to break the rules because you're like, well, people are going to hate me anyway, so I might as well break the rules and see what happens. But um, yeah, I think that being queer, uh, being proud of being queer is is amazing because you just get connected to it's an identity that connects you to people on a global scale. That and, and you get to meet people that you would you would never have had the chance to meet if you weren't gay or queer. And I think that's, that's wonderful. I think that like the Filipino identity, queer people are a bunch of sur- not just survivors, but fighters. They have fought for their place in society. They have fought to make their communities better. And I think that that's something to re- really be admired and celebrated.
0: Beautiful. Thank you so much, Anthony, for taking the time to speak with us on Proudly Asian. That's it for this episode of Proudly Asian. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at proudly.asian for more content. We are on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and YouTube. Leave us a five-star review on wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for tuning in and signing off for now, I'm Isabel Wong.